Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts. And before we begin, I need to tell everybody we are recording on June 6th, and we are in smoky upstate New York at this point. We are getting some residual smoke from the Canadian wildfires, and I know our local news has told, has mentioned that anybody that has breathing problems, uh, you know, should stay inside because the air quality right now is not what it should be. But my thoughts go to everybody in Canada who have been affected by the wildfires. I hope they get under control very quickly and that everybody comes comes out safe and sound. So our, my thoughts are with Canada today. And before I introduce my next guest, I've got to tell you a little bit about how we met initially. Um, Kaylee Reagan was a, a transfer student. I think she came to Utica University in her sophomore year. She'll correct me if I'm wrong, and I know she'll correct me if I'm wrong once I, once I get her on the air. Um, and her stepfather, John, who was the director of graduate admissions at Utica University, emailed me and said, would you mind sitting down with Kaylee and just making sure she's on track? for her undergraduate career. She was planning on majoring in psychology. So I said, sure. So what I did is I took, a, since I don't do advising regularly or at all really as an adjunct uh, professor, I said, hey, let me take a look at the uh, psychology requirements, make sure that uh, I am in good shape with everything and that I know exactly what I'm talking about. So Kaylee, sure enough, emailed me. We, we set up a time to meet at my office and she came in and she said, here, here's what I want to do for the next two years of my life. So essentially, she had her whole curriculum mapped out. But anyway, before I introduce for Kaylee formally, I want to read just a short bio that she gave me. Uh, Kaylee is a Utica University, formerly Utica College alumni, with her bachelor's in psychology. She's living in Raleigh, North Carolina. Her passion for mental health advocacy, along with neuroscience, drove her to a career in alternative medicine, specifically neurofeedback therapy. As the executive director of My Brain Doctor, Kaylee empowers others in recovery to think beyond the traditional expectations of mental health care. And she is nothing without her other half, her rescue pup London, and her love for spending time traveling to visit family and friends all over. And I am sure her narrative is going to evolve as she continues to make a great impact in the world. And I was fortunate enough to have Kaylee for two classes. Um, I wish I could have had her for more. I wish I could have cloned her um, because she was certainly in the top 2% of all students that I have had. And she just gave me a dirty look. Would you like me to say, Kaylee, a top 1%? Yes, Dave. I would absolutely love for you to consider me of that category since we are here today of course (laughs) let me let me retract that and just say that kaylee is in the top one percent of all of my students that i have ever taught how's that that sounds way better dave and as you know you're in the top one percent of people in my life so i am extremely grateful to be on this with you today and to dig a little bit deeper into what I've been up to and to teach you as you've taught me as well. 
well, this is where the student becomes a teacher. And by the way, I didn't pay her to say that, that I was in, I was in the top 1%. She's not a paid contributor to the Teaching Journeys podcast. She said that. Not yet. Not, <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling I can see an offer sheet coming. But anyway. I might get a check in the mail or send out an invoice pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to change my address. <laughs> where will I find you? I'll call oh, you. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 she'll tell you where to find me. And <laughs> for, here, take for, him. He's all he, yours. That, she has said that before. She How'd said, I know? I, I don't know. But I, anyway, um, I just love the conversational aspect of this podcast. We can just have so much fun doing this. So. <laughs> me too. This sounds like our... 45-minute phone call from yesterday already. That's, that's right. <laughs> and this is going to be our version. For those of you who have had Senior Seminar, this is going to be our version of Senior Sem. But, Kaylee, seriously, it is so good to have you here. I'm so glad you were able to take time out of your busy schedule uh, to be with, be with us and our listeners today. So thank you for that. Absolutely, Dave. I have unlimited time for anything that's important, and you're sure up there. And of course, I just love to talk about what I do love and what I do every day. Um, and it's really nice to be able to have the opportunity, of course, to share a little bit of the work that we're doing um, with all your listeners and um, your connections. So I'm really grateful to be here. Well, and I'm grateful to have you. So with that, I guess we might as well get down to it. What do you think? Absolutely. That sounds great to me. Okay. So first of all, you are the executive director of Brain Doctor. How long have you been doing this and what contributed to your decision to take this career path? Yeah, so I've been working here um, for just about two years now um, in all different roles. When I started, um, I just finished my first year of graduate school um, in a program that I wasn't really in love with. Um, it was kind of a last minute decision, um, and I thought that I was just supposed to continue to go to school forever. Um, the concept of it I enjoyed, but I really had no idea um, what I actually wanted to do, um, even though um, I thought that I did for a long time throughout undergraduate. Um, my mind was always changing. My passions, my interests um, at the concept level were the same, but to put those um, ideas and plans and passions kind of into action and form kind of a career path that was best for me. Um, wasn't something that I was really doing at the time. Um, I was just kind of going through the motions, um, going to school, doing what I thought I should do. Um, so I took a break um, from doing what I thought I was supposed to. Um, and then I actually explored my passions and my interests. So I stopped after my first year of graduate school um, and I explored. I thought outside of the box a little bit from what maybe traditional um, psychology majors um, do afterward, which oftentimes is go to school, um, continue school and kind of have a pathway of which they wanted to um, continue their education in. Um, I knew I had a strong passion for mental health advocacy um, and appreciation for integrative medicine and just overall health and wellness. Um, so. By looking introspectively, um, the career I wanted really just appeared right in front of me. It was mostly that kind of stop point, the recognition of I need to stop and kind of take this look, this objective look um, and see what are things that I love? What are things that I want to do? Um, and then it came really naturally. So I've been extremely lucky not to just be in this position and the role growth that I was able to have um, in such a short amount of time. but. Honestly, to have a job that doesn't feel like work and 
like you said, you stop looking for it and it appears right in front of you. So my, from my first day, um, the mission that my brain doctor had was extremely clear to me. Um, and I valued that a great deal when deciding um, to be a part of the company. Our founder and doctor, um, he's empowered me since day one and trusted me with his practice um, and being part of the company. And he saw how passionate that I truly was about the work that we were doing. Um, and that gave me the confidence to continue to prosper um, and help to develop and grow the company. Since I loved being able to help individuals um, like my or like themselves again in a non-invasive kind of non-grueling way, um, I was able to continue to innovate our process and make things sound or and to make treatment something that was accessible, convenient, and something that was pretty simple for people to do, and just another option. Um, so now I've been able to kind of cultivate this team of individuals, um, and they all have the same passion that I do about the work that we do here. Um, each day we come to work and we make a big difference in people's lives. And a lot of people, what they say is, they say, I want to help people, right? That's a common kind of phrase that we hear people. What do you want to do with your life? Well, I want to be in some sort of career that I, I just want to help people, right? And that's something that we've learned in interviews. Don't just say that. you got to give it a little bit more. Why, why are you here? Well, I want to help others. This is probably a job that anyone who kind of has that base phrase of this is my goal in life to help other people, this is a perfect career for that. Um, your early 20s, they're not necessarily a time you consider yourself making like all the best decisions, um, but joining um, this agency was definitely one of the best decisions. And all my experiences that led up to this moment um, and all of the conditions that we treat here um, hit close to home and it was all very personal. Um, and so everybody has kind of their own special relationship. Since we do treat such a broad um, range of symptoms and um, diagnoses, um, so it's really important that um, I recognize that. And yeah, I'm just really happy to have joined. And I'll tell you, one of the things that, as I was listening to you, Kaylee, is that I think you're right. I mean, there isn't. There's a traditional path that many expect that we're going to take after pursuing a course of study, but Everybody's different. I think our, our interests evolve as our experience evolves and as we become scientifically curious or just curious in general about the world around us. And you mentioned integrative medicine. And I, the, the trend right now, I think, in, in, health, in, in health sciences and health medicine is integrative medicine, where we're looking at integrating holistic practices with traditional therapies. The science is continuing to prove that the science is backing up the effectiveness of specific holistic therapies like Reiki, like acupuncture. The science, you know, and, and it's the two are beginning to come together to improve mental health outcomes for those individuals that we serve. Um, so I think it's great what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I suspect you're going to continue to make an impact because uh, you're passionate and um, you're curious and you're not only a teacher, but you're also in a constant state of learning. And I believe we do both of those as the situation dictates. Prior to uh, our, the inter our interview today, we talked about a specific topic, mental health in both the Gen Z and millennial population. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so, and also talking about how neurofeedback and other things that you do in my brain doctor kind of can, can improve outcomes in those areas. So with that, 
is going to segue into my next question. So tell our listeners about what neurofeedback is and how it can help effectively treat mental health challenges in both the Gen Z and the millennial populations. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, neurofeedback, it actually has been around for a good amount of time. Um, However, it's not all created equally. Um, The essence of neurofeedback therapy is rooted in operant conditioning. And that relies on a very simple premise. Um, Actions that are followed by reinforcement will be strengthened and are more likely to occur. So that is the basis of what we do here. Um, So we do this in a highly controlled manner. Um, Where it originated though, um, clinically, was actually with astronauts in NASA. So in 1965, um, a scientist, Barry Sturman um, out of UCLA, he actually, um, he did a, some clinical studies and actually looked at astronauts who were being exposed to rocket fuel and began to have seizures. Um, So scientists could then look at this seizure activity through EEG, um, which actually detects the electrical activity in your brain via the brain waves that they detect and read. Um, So with this data, we're able to then see the irregularities within brain waves um, and then ideally guide them to be in a healthy state that's dependent on whatever condition you have. So after kind of experiencing this with NASA, um, research continued um, and decades of research has just been able to show other clinical applications for how our brainwaves can be associated with other cognitive and mental disorders. And the same tactics of operant conditioning um, and training the brainwaves um, to be in the proper state will then be utilized as a highly effective treatment method. Um, so when the brainwaves are in the wrong state, we guide them back to the right state. So again, today we do see many applications of neurofeedback therapy from depression, anxiety, insomnia, ADHD, concussions, traumatic brain injuries, still epilepsy, um, migraine disorders, pretty much anything neurological. Um, we can kind of take a look at and see. And also there's usually multiple things kind of contributing to, um, but, While we see those many applications of neurofeedback therapy, um, having a great software system and highly qualified and knowledgeable provider, um, that definitely makes all of the difference. So in our practice, um, what treatment consists of is simply just watching your favorite show on Netflix for three sessions a week for 30 minutes a piece. During these treatment sessions, um, your TV show screen gets brighter and darker in response to what your brain waves are doing. So when each patient comes in and they have um, their initial EEG brain scan, where we monitor and record the electrical activity in their brain, we then use that data to have a customized treatment plan for each patient, completely dependent on what their brain scan data says, as well as their self-report data of here are the symptoms that I'm experiencing and here's kind of the reason why I'm coming here, right? So when your brain waves, um, so then after your customized treatment plan is created, you come in for your treatment sessions. And again, during those treatment sessions, you're sitting comfortably watching your TV show. When your brain waves are in the right state, we want them to be, the TV screen will stay bright, which acts as a reward. When, the t- when your brain waves are not doing what we want them to do, the TV screen will fade in response to wherever we're monitoring and reading in your brain while you're watching the show. So you'll have a couple little sensors attached to your head so that we can read at whatever location of the brain we're training. And we'll train them up, down, left, right to be in these different frequencies um, at different spots in your brain. So for example, um, the frontal lobe is usually kind of associated with some um, symptoms of ADHD, attention, judgment, restraint of impulses, things like that. 
So oftentimes um, we see individuals who are experiencing symptoms of ADHD have an increased uh, level of theta or delta waves in their frontal lobe, so these slow waves. So what we try to do um, based on, again, their EEG data and the symptoms that they're kind of telling us about, we customize their protocol so that the TV screen in our software system guides their brain waves. So it rewards them when the brainwaves are in the right state, and it's a null response or a null stimulus when they're in the wrong state. So no punishment is involved. Um, but over time, as we continue to reward those brainwaves, your brain is going to stay in the patterns that it's constantly being rewarded in. So over the course of about 16 weeks of treatment or so, it's different for different individuals, but about 40 treatment sessions really gets you to a great spot. And this is your new norm. It's like riding a bike when you're younger, um, learning how to ride a bike, and then you kind of have that with you for life, barring a concussion or anything um, traumatic to your brain like that. Um, so that's kind of the essence of neurofeedback therapy. Again, the press premise is very simple, um, but the ways that we've been able to apply it over the years has been really, really fascinating um, and a really effective treatment method too. Um, a lot of our patients, we definitely see um, from ages seven to 100. So we see a lot of patients. Um, however, we do notice a lot of millennials and Gen Z patients coming in as well too. Um, so millennials definitely, um, I think they still struggle with um, some of the stigma that's attached with mental health, um, whereas Gen Z is slightly more comfortable on the topic. But that could also be because Gen Zs are actually the generation that's struggling the most with mental illness, too. So I think that um, that could be different a little bit. Um, but since neurofeedback is pretty simple um, and non-invasive, you don't have to come in and talk about your issues that you're facing day to day. Um, a lot of the millennials, I think, are drawn to that aspect where it's a bit more low key and maybe not as scary sounding as talk therapy is, which we still definitely encourage for any patient if and when they are ready. But it's an option um, in the books. So in terms of Gen Z, um, they're very technology forward, which is awesome. Um, so. I think they're, and they're also more comfortable, like I said, um, addressing their mental health issues. Um, so they have a little bit easier of time choosing to engage into treatment because um, they may have millennial parents or just parents who are a little bit more um, understanding in terms of societal norms, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily um, maybe baby boomers or Gen X, um, maybe they have um, just a little bit higher of that stigma just due to how they're raised. And Gen Z has a little bit different experience with that because they're being raised differently in an area where, or in an era where mental health is a little bit less taboo and we can talk about it a little bit more. So I think they're being trained to kind of engage in treatment and be more comfortable talking about it. Um, what's great is it's really adaptable for all ages, um, and not many people complain too much about coming in and watching TV as their treatment for whatever grueling um, mental health disorder um, yeah, that they're treating. I think, like you said, with the Gen Zs, the Gen Z population, the, the watching TV, whether it's a flat screen or any other type of TV, with the, that feeds into their love of technology. And that's Absolutely. one of the things I've noticed with the students that I've, I've, I've had over the years is, is they rely a lot on technology, but you mentioned the stigma associated with, with mental health in the Gen Z population. I was, I found an article, I think, and I think we talked about this at, um, I think it's a uh, UCLA health, uh, UCLA health where, um, they mentioned that suicide is the second leading cause of death 
in the 15 to 24 year old population, which I think is that age range where Gen Z is considered, but it's also higher in the 25 to 34 year old, which is kind of like I think the tail end of what is considered to be Gen Z in the beginning of millennials. So if you take a look at one, the stigma associated to mental health, but also coupled with the, with the issues that uh, we've talked, you know, we've talked about them struggling with, and particularly in, in the age of COVID, where there was more social isolation because of the pandemic, you're looking at it, and also a lack of social connectivity, which I think is important with with young adults. Um, I think it just exacerbated uh, those specific statistics, and that's something I think that has been a concern to me over the years as a, as a, you know, as a professor, as a past clinician is um, what's going on with our young adults and particularly uh, as it relates to suicidal ideation and attempt and completion. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, nine out of 10 Gen Zers actually have a diagnosis of a mental health condition, which is obviously the trends are going way up in terms of diagnoses of mental health conditions. And that's not a good sign, right? So I think that that just shows that obviously we need to keep up with that and keep innovating our mechanisms of treatment because Mm -hmm. something isn't working, right? Or it's working, but we're not keeping up enough with it um, and continuing to develop um, new modalities of treatment as mental health issues continue to change too. They're not always the same thing. Um, And again, to just address what is the most concerning right now and absolutely the rates of suicide. um, We see it here a lot too, I think um, this year in this academic year, um, I'm in North Carolina, so um, I'm very close to NC State and I believe they've had seven suicides in their colleges um, this year. And our governor actually just gave a stipend to um, North Carolina State Colleges because for mental health, um, I guess, to add more mental health resources to their programs because the numbers don't lie. And this is, and it's real in a lot of the students. Um, and I have a lot of students from NC State who actually do engage in treatment and um, staff members and other people involved who went to NC State. And it, it's really close to home. And, and I'm sure everybody has kind of a circumstance where they feel it hitting a little bit close to home, but this just shows that we can't be stagnant. We have to continue to engage with these innovative treatments and figure out something and continue to develop the research and continue to try because it's scary. It's really scary. Um, and especially having so many peers and for you students um, and peers as well, um, all in that age range and it affects everybody. But I mean, Gen Z to millennials, that's a good chunk of people. What is it? 11 to 34? Is that when Gen Z or when millennials kind of that cutoff? Because I mean, 11 to 34, that's a good, that's a good amount of people um, being at extreme high risk for suicide like that. So um, again, that's why I'm here to continue to promote those other treatment modalities and not just neurofeedback therapy, but there are so many other things too, that are really, really effective. Um, and you segued into my next question, which is, why are you here? That could have been in the existential sense or it could have been in the, you know, the practical sense. But you answered that question for me, so I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and 
you can go ahead. <laughs> I can go ahead. You wouldn't expect me to get through a conversation. <laughs> I can just talk, with... talk, 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 talk all day. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't expect me to get through a conversation with you know, cracking one of my lousy jokes, would you? No, of right, course well, not. Of course, so that's it. So <laughs> Kelly always laughed at my jokes, which is one of the reasons she did so well in my class. Mm, uh, absolutely. Also, in addition to her superior intelligence, however, how's that? Is that superior good enough word for you? That works. College okay. house. Definitely laugh at everything your professors say because you will get an A. There you go. See that? Listen to that. <laughs> college Gen 101. <laughs> hey, Gen Zs and millennials out there going to college, take Kaylee's advice. Yep. <laughs> and I, I think you answered this next question. I think you addressed some of the common mental health challenges that you see, things like depression, ADHD, anxiety. And I think particularly in, in this population of young adults, I see a lot of that too, particularly unreported depression and anxiety. I think, is, and you're absolutely right because of the stigma that's associated with, with mental health. So, um, so going into another area, from your perspective, what can the other generations, these are the baby boomers, the Gen X, um, the other, I think the silent generation is another category for those who are baby boomer, boomers. What can we do to more effectively help Gen Z individuals with their challenges to be present for, for their needs? What can we do? Because we need to be collectively all in on this if we're going to, to help each other or help a specific group of individuals that need help. Yeah. Um... Well, I definitely think um, the first thing is just the recognition um, that generation does have an impact um, and it is a category um, that people differ in and could cause different beliefs and different, um, different methods of what's effective for them. And what works for them is different than what works for um, maybe some of the older generations, the baby boomers, um, Gen X. So first of all, that simple understanding that they are growing up in an entirely different generation and what is normalized is different, what is accepted is different, and what's being innovated is different too. And I guess also some of the root of their mental issues, right? So, I mean, millennials and Gen Z, millennials kind of started the whole cyber boom, but growing up in this hyper-connected world, it can absolutely invoke so many intense feelings of isolation, loneliness, and ADHD. Everything can really be impacted by the amount of technology we use. And while some of it is so, so, so great, um, we also have to just be considerate of the negatives of that too, and what baggage that the negatives may come with. And that is taking a big hit on the Gen Z and millennials. Um, so I think just like, again, being aware of here are, it's normal now, right? Mental health is normal and we encourage talking about it, right? Um, in our workplace, we are talking about mental health all day, every day, our own mental health conditions, other people's mental health conditions. So oftentimes I'm in this bubble where I'm like, oh, mental health is completely normal. And while some people aren't necessarily in that bubble um, and don't even engage in mental health at all, I think just having some sort of recognition of, oh, my child or my niece, my nephew, whomever, um, they may be, they're growing up in a different time or they may be experiencing um, some different symptoms and some different struggles than maybe they were. Um, and 
that treatment is an option and you don't have to kind of live your life suffering. And I feel like, um, at least from thinking about my parents and my grandparents, um, they were a lot of times trained to be a little bit more um, stoic and oftentimes, so for example, my my dad's family, um, my grandfather was a Marine, he was a Catholic man, and he had seven boys. And their family ran like a well, well-oiled machine. But mental health wasn't something that was really talked about in their family. And that's how they were raised. And that's how they raised their children, right? And then now, for example, myself, so I'm the grandchild of that generation, myself, my cousins, and everyone in my generation were kind of able to see, oh, wait a second, that's not normal, right? to have to keep everything inside and bottled up and to have to live uncomfortably. Um, So I definitely think that, again, understanding that and just talking with your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, the younger generation to actually understand um, some of the mental health issues that they're dealing with too. The other thing that is also important Um, is that I think as educators, I always tell my students that I try to create as safe an environment as possible and as welcoming an environment, as relaxed an environment, because I don't know what their histories are coming into my classroom. And I kind of figure if I'm dealing with students that have had depression and anxiety, um, if I'm, and they have, they and I don't know about that, at least if I can create a safe place, that can at least help them eliminate that or manage that um, effectively, so. Right, absolutely. That understanding that I don't know what you have going on and you don't know what I have going on is the simplest message. And probably, like you said, one of the most important things too. And um, so always creating a comfortable and a safe environment for everyone who you allow into your um, into your space, into your mental or physical space. Um. Yeah, and I think that that's important. And I and um, and I think the other thing, and especially with the stigma associated to mental health, and just in general, and maybe some individuals not knowing how to ask for help, I think it's important if we see something that looks a little off with one of our young adults, just to go by and check and make sure that they're okay. Now they may tell you, "Yeah, I'm fine." Um, They may not want to get into that type of a conversation at that particular moment, but keep checking. Let them know that you care. And I think that could, because you never know what that person is dealing with at that particular moment. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, resources are continuing to become more accessible for that. Um, But just staying up to date with the resources of how you can help your your children or your students or your family members um, and kind of protect them and allow them to know keep their mental health safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So what interventions do you think can be effective when working with the young adult population? You mentioned talk therapy as being a possibility, but talk therapy doesn't work for anybody. I think for me, I think with a lot of young adults, they might tend to get a little bit, um, disconnected if if doing talk therapy. So you might have to change it up a little bit, but that's just my perception. But I want to hear from you what you find to be the most effective interventions in working with this population. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, absolutely therapy and talk therapy is a 
great modality to use when it is done correctly um, by the patient and the provider. It, it is really, truly effective. And I worship the ground that therapists walk on. Um, however, like you said, it isn't for everyone. Um, I think the first step, um, first and foremost, something that I recommend to everybody is having an extremely knowledgeable primary care provider. If you have a knowledgeable primary care provider, one that is not have intellectual arrogance um, and can actually refer you out to specialists um, who deal with exactly what you're dealing with, um, and again, is are open-minded to different things too, right? So we'll not just necessarily um, go straight to the medication or talk therapy route, but we'll say, hey, I actually know about this and kind of is up to date um, on the most popular um, treatment mechanisms. So that's the first thing I can do um, to recommend. Um, I mean, from, there are so many, so many effective interventions, but from nutrition counseling to understanding the relationship between your gut and mental health, from EMDR, ketamine treatments, and all these sorts of things. But I think the biggest thing is just being open to finding the right combination um, for you. Um, and that takes expertise of the self, really high self-awareness, and a little bit of research sometimes too. Um, maybe if you don't necessarily have a great primary care provider. Um, and also maybe some trial and error. Um, Oftentimes what I see with our generation is we love instant gratification, right? We love a like on our Instagram post and we love a retweet and we are instant gratification people. So we go to therapy one time and it doesn't necessarily work. And then we say, okay, I'm not healed, right? Or we're inconsistent um, or maybe it's not the right therapist. And again, therapy is just an example. Um, same thing with medication. We'll try a medication. Maybe it's not working so great and done over with. So, and a lot of times you can just end up taking like an easy way out. So again, I think that um, ensuring that you're staying consistent and just kind of researching what is out there. There are so many things. And again, it can just be as simple as your gut health, right? Can make a big difference for you. But we as humans are just idiosyncratic in nature, right? And all of our differences um, cannot be there isn't one method that is right for everybody. And as easy as that would be, <laughs> that would be awesome, but there isn't. And so that's why um, neurofeedback is right for a lot of people, but it's not right for everybody, right? And we will absolutely tell people if this treatment is not right for you, um, when it's not gonna be effective and things like that and how we can make it the most effective. Um, but again, a lot of people, and a lot of people like want to do things the best way in the perfect way in the most effective way. Um, if I start therapy, I have to do just therapy. And do I do therapy in combination with this and this and this, but it's a little bit of trying these things, right. And being exploratory. Um, there isn't a perfect way to get the best results other than one that's one convenient for your lifestyle and is not giving you even more mental stress, right? A lot of times I'll have patients, I can't get in for three times a week for sessions. And I'll say, that's okay. If you can't get in three times this week, you come to this week because if it is more mental stress to actually engage in the treatment than it is 
taking away that mental stress from you, then that's not worth it. So I think just again, that like understanding of yourself and what your needs are and finding the group of interventions that works for you and then not giving up until you have that perfect combo and having somebody in your corner to do that with you, whether it's a parent, a friend, um, kind of have somebody help you along with that journey too, because, and again, um, I know Gen Zers, they are most comfortable talking to first their friends, um, about their mental health issues. So if it's a friend, you know, and people hear different things. So take advice from people and listen to others and just kind of keep your mind open to what else can help you. As providers, it is our job, obviously, the ones who offer all these services to continue to stay up to date with the knowledge. So, and to continue to market these resources and share with the world and send our message that, hey, here's another option too. If this doesn't work for you, you can try this and maybe in combination with that. Um, and then it'll be more effective. Um, so again, it's as providers, it's our job to make sure these services are one, available and well known to the population, as well as being a strong support system um, as individuals explore interventions, right? So helping guide them on their journey um, amongst other interventions. But people can oftentimes and maybe not oftentimes, but a lot of times people can um, want, they want the patients for themselves, but mental health is a little bit different than that. When we just want the patient usually to have the best experience possible and to get better, truthfully, that's the end goal. And so that sometimes takes sending them out to a different place and not having them be in your house anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Sending them off to somebody else who's maybe more knowledgeable in that. So that's kind of the side from both, um, the patient seeking treatment or the young adult seeking treatment, as well as from the provider side too, of what we can better do um, to help have that access to treatment and be a good support system. And, and I think one of the keys, and I think you mentioned this is one, it's not only individualized treatment, but it's establishing ourselves as listeners in the process. We can't do effective therapy until we listen to what, to, to what the individual believes that they need from treatment. And I've said this, and you've heard me say this in classes, good assessment, good therapy starts with effective listening first. You let, the, let their narrative unfold. You, you get a good understanding of their presenting problems just by listening and asking clarifying questions. And then you collaborate on a course of treatment. Um, and I think you also, also mentioned that the support aspect, and particularly with young adults who are very much connected to their immediate family or extended family, they also become a part of a part of their treatment program, their treatment interventions, and they also need to need to be to the extent that that young adult, providing that they're of legal age, will let them be in, to be involved in treatment. So, um, obviously, you uh, you learned your lessons very well at Utica University, and it wasn't because of me. I don't know about that. I think you definitely um, played a role in my um, in my learning, absolutely, and a big oh. one too. In my learning, but not just my learning, but my unlearning too. Um, a lot of times, we're stuck with these um, ways that we've been taught for our whole lives until we get into um, until we talk with somebody else who has maybe a different perspective on that. And yeah. I think that's the biggest value that you gave me. Why do you have to have your two years planned out? Oh, I actually don't, right? And I learned that very quickly. Um, <laughs> well, you, you know what I learned is that, I've said this to somebody, I said, just when you think you got a plan, the universe says, hold my beer, you know? And it's Absolutely. Just, and it's just like, you think you got a plan? No. Mm -hmm. this, is, yeah. this, is the, 
this is a plan. But you know, we got free will and we can open ourselves to any path that is presented to us or we can close it down. But we still have free will to, to choose. Mm-hmm. But typically the plan that I thought I had wasn't the plan that I ended up, I ended up following. And uh, that plan continues to evolve. So yeah, but it, absolutely. But anyway, we are getting close to the end. So as much as I, I hate to end our conversation today, but I got a couple, one more question for you. Um, what are one or two things that our listeners can take from your life paths path thus far? What, what can you teach us about what your life path has taught you? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is if you force things or think things have to be a certain way, then they're not going to fall into place as they're meant to be. If you're feeling anything about overwhelmed in your career, um, in your early 20s, which is something that I thought a lot about. Um, I'm only 24, but in my first (laughs) four years of my 20s, I thought a lot about developing my career and how that was going to be possible and following that kind of correct plan for life that society um, claims. So the advice I have is just removing that overwhelmedness in any way that you can and just focusing on how you can have a better understanding of what your self-fulfillment will be, right? And things are going to fall into place. What fulfills you? Anyone who's struggling with their mental health in general as well, um, and also struggling with their career, I would say just be your own biggest fan. And that's going to go a really long way. Know yourself well and cheer yourself on. Um, Provide yourself with so much love and grace as you embark through every journey right? And there's no wrong path and there's no wrong way because everything teaches you something that you either don't like or something that you like. And you choose, you have the choice to choose whether something provides value to your life or not, right? Even a negative experience. A negative experience provides so much value to your life. And we often think that only positive things can add to our life, but negative things don't just remove, but they add to. You're always going to be able to learn and grow without being crippled by all these supposed to's if you give yourself that love and grace. The only rules I would say is protect your peace and just love yourself more than you've ever loved anything. And Things are really going to fall into place um, from the mental health side, from the career side, everything. And you are walking proof of that. I sure am. For sure. And the biggest Um, thing too is I didn't think I would be so and a lot of people don't think they would be and uh, everybody else gets to achieve it but you don't and it's always a work in progress Um, being happy with what you have and what you've accomplished it really works wonders it does and thank you for that Kaylee and finally tell us tell our listeners how we can find you how we can contact you and what else do you have going on as related to, to Brain Doctor or anything else that's unrelated? Any events, any talks, anything that you would uh, like to share? Sure, yeah. So we have a lot of plans in store. Um, we are embryonic in terms of um, growth of our business. Um, we are still relatively new. It's been about six years that my Brain Doctor um, has been around for um, 
So a lot of growth planned, um, but definitely check out our website, um, mybraindr.com, our social media pages. We try to keep everybody really up to date um, on our Instagram. We do some TikToks and Facebook, some Pinterest, um, again, just to try to spread the word and share our message of what neurofeedback therapy is um, and how can you utilize it? Um, we try to give people just a really transparent look at what our treatment is since it is pretty niche. Um, so for any information and more things like that um, and any future events, I would definitely check out our website um, and our Instagram, both MyBrainDR. Well, thank you very much, Kaylee. Um, and God, it was just a pleasure having you. And I hope you come back for another- Absolutely, another, yeah. Another, uh, another episode and um, we can, um, we can have some more fun and you, know, you can share some more of your knowledge and, you know, uh, and anything else you want to share at this point. So, but with that, that is a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. So with that, I'm Dave Roberts and I wish you peace. <laughs>